You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Listen to the Inside Carolina On The Beat podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Got Greg Barnes, Ross Martin, Gregory Hall with me. Gregory Hall may be otherwise involved during this podcast, but we'll try to keep this purely Carolina basketball related. And I'll start with Greg Barnes. Greg, uh, you know, Carolina just can't seem to get out of their own way. Uh, I mean, part of me watches this thing, team thinks that with a few breaks and a couple injury breaks or minus some injuries, they could be 15, 16, 7, or 8, but they just continue to find ways to lose ball games. And against a team like Florida State, what they did just can't happen. Yeah, and – I know we've talked about this quite a bit this season. So let's let's approach it from a different angle. And I think if you watch the game in Tallahassee, you need to understand that Florida State's one of the best teams in the ACC. They're a top 10 team in the country, probably be a a top three seed uh, in the NCAA tournament. It's a very good team. Uh, They've won 19 straight at home. They've won 13 straight ACC games at home. Leonard Hamilton has done, done a very good job with that squad. And they, uh, as usual, they have a lot of athleticism. I uh, have a really good point guard in Forrest and are really good defensively. And North Carolina had an opportunity to win that game. And primarily because uh, they fought their rear ends off on the defensive end of the floor. They played very good defensively, had a lot of hustle, um, did a lot of positive things. And so, I think the, the number one takeaway is any any hint, any suggestion that the team's going through the motions, that they don't care, we can dismiss that immediately. No indication of that whatsoever. So that's the good thing. Um, and they have played well defensively. But they struggle to score um, at an incredible level. And just when they started – kind of finding something that worked for them uh, the week before the BC game. And granted, let's be honest. I mean, Miami stinks. They didn't have the two best players. So we can't make too big of a deal about that game, although they did execute. And State's kind of doing State things, and uh, North Carolina dominated over there because that's what Roy Williams does in Raleigh. And so there are asterisks there. But then you you insert Cole Anthony, who's just a a, uh, legit talent. He does a very good job getting to the rim, uh, creating space, creating opportunities to to shoot. But it kind of changed up that dynamic a little bit of what was working. He wasn't able to make shots. He he really hasn't made shots since that Notre Dame game to open the year. And just a lot of kind of confusion. And what you end up with is he misses his last 12 shots of the game. North Carolina went through an 11-minute stretch with a field goal, missed 17 shots in a row. I don't know what they ended up shooting in the second half, but I'm assuming it was like 28%, uh, if, if not worse than that. And that's what it comes down to. 
they they played Florida State well enough on the road. They had an opportunity to win that game without B. Rob, without Anthony Harris, without Sterling Manley. But because of their offensive deficiencies, they were not able to make just a handful of plays down the stretch that allowed them to score an upset. And that's what we've talked about time and time again. So we just need to be careful about where we're directing blame and frustration, all these things. It is as simple as they cannot shoot the ball efficiently. If they only had one or two guys that could do it, uh, this season would be completely different. And these conversations would be totally, totally different. Ross, watching this team play, I mean, the best stretch they had in that game was without Cole Anthony on the floor, but clearly they're a better team with Cole Anthony. It's just, it's weird. And Dewey and I talked about it in the post game. It's weird because it just looks like everybody freezes and stops when Cole's on the court. And then when he goes off, they start moving without the ball and all that. And then I hear guys talking about, well, we were open. Uh, people just didn't get us the ball. I, I just didn't see it. I didn't see that openness. Now, I saw some guys get open few and far between, but I didn't see any kind of consistent movement and all. I mean, what's going on with that? That's that's something, you know, at, you think at this point they're not standing around watching, or they wouldn't be, but they appear to be doing just that. And then you have people that say, well, Cole dominates the ball. Clearly he does, um, but it's like, who else is going to come get it? Because I didn't yeah. see many people trying to come get it. Yeah, I mean, I think this podcast, as kind of Greg alluded to a little bit and began to talk about, it has to be about the offense and just how stagnant it's become. Um, I thought at times it was a little bit better against Florida State, but then they had that huge stretch where um, they couldn't make a shot, and it was just a standstill, and, and you saw Cole launching threes. And, I mean, it's, it's crazy – to think about and you kind of mentioned it at the beginning of that of that intro you know the offense was working better without Colt I mean it really was and it, it's hard to say that because you know how good of a talent is and obviously they're a better team when you have one of the best players in the country at least one of the best players on paper in the country um, because of how dan- dynamic of a scorer he is but they had kind of gotten to a rhythm against state and Miami with with how they were working it down low and some guys were hitting shots and they were getting everybody involved. And you saw flashes from players we hadn't seen flashes from. And of course, Garrison Brooks and Armando Bicot had become, you know, really, really good interior scores and they've fallen off so much. I mean, the stat that was in Greg's article that I tweeted out today, um, I think uh, Bicot and Brooks were four for 11 from the field and they combined for, I think it was 10 points, 11 points. And Baycott was two for three. I mean, he only attempted three shots. And when you have, I mean, I think he's one of the best big men freshmen in the ACC, and he's got to have more touches. And they're just not getting it to them down low. And then, I don't know, they're just not, they're not getting enough looks. And I think Baycott and Brooks are your number two and three options, and they need to be heavily involved in the offense. And, and Roy Williams' best teams are when the big men can be heavily involved in the offense. And, and all I see is, Cole dribbling out the shot clock and then launching a three, and that's much of what he's doing. I think the best offense for this team is when Cole can drive and he can get fouled or he can dish off. And then when you get things in the middle is when you can get things working with the other players. You can dish off. They had some nice stretches when they were passing it to each other in the interior. Um, you just have to get Brooks and Baycott involved, whether that's in the high post, high-low game, because that's when they're the best. And when the, when the scoring is balanced from the outside um, – it's a more of a more effective team. And I think 
The one thing that Cole does bring is he can hit some threes and that opens some things up. And that's a dimension this offense doesn't have as much if, if, if Brand Roms is not playing. And, and that's good to see, but the shooting percentage is so bad, it almost doesn't make it worth it. Um, so, yeah, it's a lot of talk about offense there, but lack of interior touches, lack of getting Brooks and Baycott. Those guys really established themselves as, as, as good offensive players. I mean, we were talking about Brooks as a first team all ACC with the way he's playing offense. He's dropped off since Cole came back. So, Gregory, my question is, why is that? Uh, I mean, there's got to be a fix for it, right? And we can all discuss it. I mean, I just – I'm watching guys, you know, against NC State just dominate, get post position, and they get the ball. You know, I'm not seeing people work to really get the ball as much, or maybe am I just blinded by the Cole Anthony light um, because I see a guy trying to make something happen and nobody else is available. Um you know, so what does Roy Williams do here? Uh, I well, mean, he's not going to tell Cole not to shoot. Right. He's got to have him to shoot. So how does it get fixed? Ross outlined the issue. The question is, how do how do you fix it? Well, it's it's if Cole's going to dribble at the top of the key, which he does early in the shot clock, shot clock later in the shot clock, but the, re- the other four guys on the court have to move more. Brian Ives was uh, posted a Twitter thread earlier today with some some deep research about cutting to the basket and like cutting and post entries. Cole Anthony has 33 isolation plays in 11 games. When Cole Anthony was out for 11 games, the Tar Heels only have 22 total through everyone. So obviously, and that's the eye test, you can just tell Cole is doing ISO more often, which doesn't necessarily work in college basketball because guys tend to play at least tougher, tighter defense than, say, in the NBA. Um, And I think the more glaring issue is uh, what Brian called cut plays. So when guys are cutting to the basket and you're getting easy passes and you're kind of – when teams are going to that health defense, when Cole does drive, he can dish it to Armando or, say, Andrew Playtech cutting to the basket. Uh, Without Cole, UNC was averaging eight and a half cut plays a game. With Cole, it's 6.1. So – Guys aren't moving as much when Cole is dribbling. And I think that's the first issue to fix because when we're talking about shot selection and when Cole having just dribbling out and jacking up uh, a bad three, yes, that's on him because he's not driving. But even if he is driving, a lot of times he's having to go up and double when he's getting double teamed because he doesn't have anyone to pass to. I do think sometimes he's not looking to pass, which is a Cole Anthony issue. But a lot of times, guys aren't there for him to pass to. And if he is trying to pass, he's trying to turn around away from the basket and kind of reset beyond the arc. So uh, I think that's issue number one, is moving without the ball. And then issue number two, um, which Roy has talked about in the last couple games, is Armando and Garrison fighting harder in the post to get the ball. I mean, when you're going up against a top 10 team and Garrison and Armando are combined for nine points and Christian Keeling and Leaky Black are combined for 24, based on what Garrison and Armando did without Cole, that's obviously not a winning formula. So yeah, those are the two main things I think need to be fixed moving forward with Cole Anthony back on the court. Let me talk about Johnny T-shirt. We always do it early in the podcast because it's important. They're important. Sponsors of this podcast, great friends of Inside Carolina, johnnytshirt.com, Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street, great place to get all your Carolina gear. 
whether it's a basketball related football, soccer, baseball, or any other sport or any other school of journalism, whatever you need, they got it at Johnny t-shirt and they've got all the Carolina gear you could possibly need, not just clothes, but gear, anything for tailgates and what you can't get, um, in store. If you can't get to the store, you can certainly get online. And, but if you're in Chapel Hill, go see them at Johnny t-shirt on Franklin street and check them out online, Johnny t-shirt.com. If you're around and you're listening to this podcast and you're around Chapel Hill, Carborough area, and it's Wednesday around lunchtime, stop by the Hickory Tavern. Johnny t-shirt will be there with the inside Carolina crowd for football signing day party put on by Mr. Buck Sanders, Johnny t-shirt.com, Johnny t-shirt on Franklin street, 10% off. If you're inside Carolina premium subscriber, and we'll come back to you, Greg Barnes, just talking about this issue a little bit. I mean, I hear guys talk about, Hey, we're just not moving enough, but they move at times, but the ball, you know, when I see the ball going around the perimeter and nobody wants to take a shot, and then I see Anthony left with seven seconds left on the shot clock. My question is, what is he supposed to do? I mean, are, am I seeing uh, or are you seeing what I'm seeing as far as nobody's working to get open? Nobody's um, moving without the ball as hard as they have been, especially in the last couple games. Or is Florida State's defense really just that much better than State, and Miami, um, and in and that they don't allow you to do that as well. And maybe that's just what we saw the other night. Well, th- there's a lot to unpack here, Tommy. But if we're talking about just game-specific, we, we need to understand that BC is a good defensive team. We talked about that last week. Not very good offensively, although Derek Thornton uh, was very good offensively late. And then Florida State's really good defensively. And one thing that Armando uh, talked with, me about after the game is I was asking him about you know, FSU fronted you early and that seemed to be successful. And he's like, yeah, he said, you know, they've, they're fronting us and then they've got help on the backside. And I don't know that that was on the scouting report. Cause he's like, you know, we knew they were going to do it possibly some, we had no idea they were going to do it near as much as they did. I mean, they did it all game long. Um, And so, yeah, that's part of it. They, they've got to do a better job against the, the fronting to, uh, get themselves in a position, you know, a couple times, Ramondo, when he did get position because he was trying to get around the guy that was fronting him, you know, he's five, six feet away from the, the block. And that's not where you want him getting the ball. So, yes, and, you know, as, as Playtech said after BC, uh, Baycott said after BC, you know, when Cole gets the ball, you know, he's kind of just, just dominant with it and everybody's kind of waits around and watches him and, instead of trying to get open. But I think it's also important if we take a step back and look at you how this offense is constructed. Think about last year. Why did Kobe have so much success? Well, number one, because they could run the ball effectively. Uh, they, they were good defensively, uh, and they were able to get the ball and push it because he could push it like nobody else. Cole can't push the ball like he can. And none of the point guards on this team can. The other part, too, is you got Luke May playing as your four. And he was a stretch four. He's a legitimate three-point option. So on a lot of offensive sets, especially out of the secondary, you know, he's he's out near the perimeter. So you have one less guy in the paint. That allows more driving lanes for Kobe. And then when he gets in the lane, if they collapse on him, what could he do? He could kick out to Cam for a three or Luke or Kenny. He had options everywhere. And so 
everything works. Well, look at this year. They can't push the ball near as well as previous UNC teams, although they are better with Cole, but, but not much better. Then you have two traditional bigs in Garrison and Armando, so you don't have a stretch four who can step out into three, so you have more people in the paint clogging the lanes. And then if Cole gets into the paint, who's he feel comfortable with firing out for an open three-point shot? How many times have we seen a Tar Heel this year, other than B-Rob, catch a ball with an open look on the three-point line and either pause before taking a shot or throw it away, you know, throw it to somebody else? We've seen a that a ton, a lot. And so you're in this situation of, okay, well, we can't really push the ball. Uh, there's not a lot of driving lanes because we've got two traditional bigs in there, and, and neither of them are you know, Tyler Hansbrough or Tyler Zeller, Sean May type down there where you can just pound it down and they can score against anybody. And we also don't have perimeter shooters, especially with B-Rob out. So <laughs> what BC did and clearly what Leonard Hamilton did is we're going to congest the middle. And we're going to make you beat us from the outside. And if you're a defensive coach looking at this Carolina team, I don't know why you attempt to defend any any differently. And if they get hot from three and Cole gets hot like he did against Notre Dame and they beat you that way, fine. Tip your hat to them. But as we've seen throughout the course of the year, most of the time that is not going to work. And I think that's the challenge Roy Williams has is, okay, I want to be post-dominant because I got two bigs who are two of our best players, so you don't want to take them off the court. But we also have Cole Anthony who wants to get into the paint and draw fouls and have opportunities to create. So you got to figure out how how to work that. And foul trouble played a big role and and matching up played a big role late. But I at least kind of like the idea of putting a lineup out there where Leaky Black is your four. And so now you have more spacing on the offensive end. But if Francis is not going to give you better minutes than what he has since he's come back from his, his knee issue, which, he, of course, he's still dealing with, you know, you're, you're kind of really saying, okay, well, do I want to sub out a Francis for Garrison or for Armando? Ew, you know, that's, that's, that's the challenge that Roy has right now, and he, he has very short window here to try to fix that. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about Florida State fronting, and I don't think Baycott's strong enough to deal with a, a, a lengthy guy fronting him, and I don't think uh, Garrison Brooks is long enough to take advantage of somebody fronting him. And, and then you you factor in the – got to have somebody to be able to make that pass consistently, and Florida State was always running somebody underneath as well. So I said early in the season, I think, uh, not too terribly early, but if, if I'm defending Carolina, it, it, all five defenders have one foot in paint, and we'll take our chances. And um, I would like my chances against this Carolina team. That being said, Ross, and Greg mentioned him there briefly, Leaky Black, and I thought Kristen Keeling was finally letting some balls rip a little bit against Florida State. And I think that's what Carolina's got to have. I mean, this catching and passing up an open look, I don't know if you guys listened to it, um, but the podcast after the game, Dewey talked about you work, you work, you work, you get the defense in a bad position, then you kick out and you've got an open look and the person doesn't take it. So all that work goes for naught and then you're left with late shot clock situations when people are throwing up Hail Marys. 
Um, but just comment about Leaky and Keeling. I thought they, they, you know, they've gotten better. I'm not sure Keeling's shooting it better, but he's certainly shooting it with more confidence, and that can only help, I would think. Yeah, what stood out about Leaky, to start with him, is I thought he was a lot more aggressive taking to the basket. Um, he was four for 10 from the field. He only shot one three. And I just remember watching him, you know, take his, his player and kind of manhandle him and, and get to the rim and, and, you know, draw a foul or have at least a, a pretty high percentage shot somewhere in the paint. That's what you want from him. And he's, he's six, eight, he's, he's tall, he's strong. And you would think he'd have an advantage when he kind of, he gets momentum and, and, and drives the basket and he was more aggressive. You like to see that. I mean, you like to see an aggressive mentality. From your players, and that's I think Leaky Black struggles with being a little bit tentative, tentative, <clears throat> and, and lacking some confidence offensively. And so it was good to see that. You know, he's still not an offensive powerhouse or anything. I'm not sure he ever, ever will be at UNC. But ten points last night, only one turnover. That's good to see as well. Obviously, he's handling ball, handling the ball a little bit less with Cole back, but he, he does kind of definitely play that secondary uh, point guard role and brings the ball up as well. So aggressiveness from Leaky was great, and then. Christian Keeling, five for ten from the field, had that little spurt where I think he made he might have made three baskets, maybe back to back baskets, but he's definitely um, finding a little niche. And you know, one of the more efficient players for UNC, fourteen points in eighteen minutes. Um, he had some uh, a couple heat check shots, but uh, you know, this team needs guys to be productive. They need guys to make baskets, and Keeling could uh, show that he could do that. And we're kind of trying to find the 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 best things on a pretty bad team and, and Keeling was was definitely a positive and, and good for him and a guy that probably expected the season to go a lot different probably expected to start and be a double digit scorer in every game and and he's really really struggled so just for his confidence and for his just being a, a, a player who's had a, a tough go at it good to see him have some success and you know hopefully for Carolina fans and for Keeling he can kind of keep that up but uh, I know Greg talked to him after the game about that and it seems like he's had some spots here where he can hit that mid-range jumper and you can tell he has a little bit a little bit more confidence a little more offensive savvy he had a nice drive to the basket as well i believe um against florida state yeah and gregory i mean I, i've said over and over as well as we have just stop trying to do things you can't do and keeling appears to be doing those things he can do more and more and Leaky, let's stay with Leaky in the keeling theme here for a second gregory i Leaky got a block there and I'm, I don't know if I heard it correctly on TV, but it sounded like he was a little aggressive with that block. And I think that's what Carolina desperately needs from him. But let's go even deeper into the offensive issues. I mean, these guys are stepping up. What about Playtech and Pierce? I mean, Pierce struggled mightily against Florida State. And Carolina's got Duke coming up this weekend. So I'm going to give you one last chance, Gregory. Does, how does Carolina remotely solve the issues going into the Duke game, and then we're going to move to the other end of the court, which I think Carolina's had some success. But offense, last chance, Gregory. I'm just going to start with a quick uh, war damn eagle, big overtime win. Um, <laughs> I just That's all I'm saying. But when you, you bring up uh, Leakey being aggressive on the block, and I think – and Keeling too. Keeling also – UNC had two blocks in this game. One was Leakey Black. The other was Christian Keeling, um, which I think is pretty surprising. But any added toughness, effort, aggression from any player that's other than just like shooting shots, because um, obviously, I mean, Cole, five for 22, he has no problem being aggressive shooting. But the rest of the team has some issues being aggressive 
like I've said earlier, off the ball um, and looking kind of points in the paint. I mean, UNC was outscored 32-26, which obviously isn't a big differential, but with how much they're struggling shooting from three, that just can't happen, especially against Duke on Saturday, Um, kind of attacking the paint. But mentioning Playtech and Pierce, I mean, Playtech has gotten better at being more confident going to the rim. I think Pierce was more of an issue of just not being athletic as the Florida State defenders. I don't know how many times he got his shot swatted. It seems like every time he went up to the rim, it was not going to even barely get out of his hands before Florida State defender had his his paw on the ball. Um, But I think for Pierce and Playtech, I think it really is just a matter of seeing the ball go in the basket. And I think to get that to happen – because Pierce and Playtech, yes, they've been struggling shooting the ball from three, um, but they haven't been able to create very many open looks for themselves. And I think that's where moving without the ball comes into play. Um, and if the if you're if Garrison Armando can't get a clean look down low, then I think they should slide out and maybe set a screen uh, for uh, Pierce or Playtech and try and get those open threes early in the game. So And then if they can see them get knocked down early, that can build some confidence. And then if UNC goes into another shooting slump against Duke, where they go five, six, seven, eight, however many minutes they decide not to make a field goal, that's when you can pound, pound, it, pound it down low. Um, so I think that's what they have to do against Duke, because Duke's, I mean, Duke's better defending the three than they are the two. Um, so if you can knock down some threes early by some off-ball movement using screens, and then if that goes cold, Duke figures it out later, then that's when Garrison Armando can get the ball down low if they're not into foul trouble like they were against Florida State. Take a short break. Come back on the Beat Podcast inside Carolina. We'll be right back. We're back. Tommy Ashley, Ross Martin, Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall on the beat inside Carolina podcast sponsored by Johnny T-shirt.com. Greg Barnes, Carolina and Duke this weekend. Uh, I mean, the, the stats are ridiculous. I've seen Brian Ives' tweet. It's the 50 wins on each side, the exact amount of points, 7,400 and some change. Just ridiculous. But, I mean, this game uh, could potentially be similar to maybe those 2,000 two 2003 type games uh, what does Carolina have to do specifically on the defensive end and before I forget Tayon on the premium message board um, had a great breakdown of Carolina's offensive struggles a lot of which we've talked about here on this podcast but a good thread and even got a chime in from the Greg Barnes after his post earlier today if you haven't checked it out check it out it's worth the read but Greg on the defensive end I think Carolina's been better I'm just not sure that it's kind of like the state and Miami offensive issue. They look better than maybe they actually have been. Boston College can't score. Florida State did not play well. Um, defense against Duke. How does Carolina attack this Duke team? <laughs> well, I think this is a unique Duke team in that uh, you know, key guy you got to look out for, of course, is Vernon Carey down low. He's just a hoss. And I, one thing um, that's troublesome for UNC is that Armando Baycott's had a tendency to get in foul trouble of late. And that's going to be something to watch out. Now, that was an issue uh, Monday. That's, that's been an issue in a lot of games here lately. 
Um, but you know, if Duke is able to establish their inside scoring opportunities, as everybody knows, that collapses your your defense. Roy, uh, <laughs> if, if we know anything about Roy, is that he wants to defend that that two-point shot more than he does the three. That's just his personal belief. That's his philosophy. It has been. I assume it always will be. Uh, but if, if Carey is able to have some success down low, that's going to open up a lot of looks uh, for their guys on the perimeter. And that that's where Duke, as always, can hurt you. Um, the fact that you know they're shooting 36% from three is key. I mean, they're shooting 55% from two which is top 20 in the country. And so that's that that's kind of the key thing to me. Yes, you have to do a good job um, on the perimeter. You, you've got to guard there. But if, if Trey Jones and, and Stanley are able to get into the lane any, uh, that's going to set up some, some easy scoring opportunities for, for Carey and, uh, and, and Moore and Hurt and all those guys that are going to be collapsing. And so if you can, if you can defend the paint somewhat effectively, uh, that gives you a fighting chance on the perimeter. And I think one thing that we saw against Florida State, at least early, that could come in handy for North Carolina, uh, Florida State wanted to run, and Duke wants to run. And so just just the up-tempo aspect of that game Monday um, in the first half really allowed North Carolina to get get moving, and that helped them find some confidence offensively before things fell apart. And I think that that could help North Carolina as well. Uh, that's not as, as specific to, to defense, but I, I think that'll be a, a good component for North Carolina to have a chance in this game. Ross, how's Carolina have a chance on Saturday? Uh, I yeah. mean, you know, uh, do they <laughs> do they have one? I don't know. Yeah, Tell me. That, lead, that leads into exactly yeah. what I was going to say. I think this UNC team is going to be in every game. Like, I don't think a team in the ACC is going to come and blow them out. We, we they've been in a lot of contests. Um, you know, they they were battled with Florida State. I don't think any team jumps off the schedule. I don't think Duke's that good. Um, Louisville maybe one of the better teams in the ACC, but I think with Cole Anthony, they are going to be in a, a fighting chance in every game because of how dynamic of a scorer he can be. And we've seen this team score so. For some reason, I feel that I don't. I don't feel like any team just really intimidates um, this UNC team just on paper. Like last year, I went into that Duke game thinking that Duke was going to kill UNC with Zion and uh, Cam Reddish and the guy I'm forgetting. But and, and UNC ended up beating them two out of three that year, I believe. RJ um, Barrett. RJ Barrett. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think UNC can can be in every game. I just think they they fall apart late sometimes. They maybe can't compete all forty minutes, but they there's just not a really not too many really really good teams in this league. So yeah, I think UNC has a chance against Duke. Nothing. They don't have someone who just blows UNC off the um, table there. I don't know. I don't know if that's just me or maybe I haven't watched Duke enough or other ACC teams. But that's just my thought kind of entering the stretch. Cole gives him a chance. Will, every, Cole gives him a chance in every game is what I'm trying to say. I, I think. Yeah, for sure. But I will say this: in ACC play, if you look at the efficiency metrics, Duke is better defensively than FSU, and they're better offensively than FSU. To just give you something to relate to for Monday, um, so that kind of gives you gives you an idea. But again, if North Carolina makes some free throws or just a couple shots, to Ross's point. Maybe they steal that game in Tallahassee. With it being in Chapel Hill, this is 
this is their chance to win this game because that's not going to happen in, in Cameron. I, I, to, to Ross's point, I thought Florida State would blow them out just because yeah, so Florida too. State has got that, that type team. Now, I think Louisville will be a different animal. But Gregory, Carolina in the Smith Center against Duke, I mean, they've got a shot. But to Ross's point, Cole Anthony gives them a chance to win every game. Um, yeah, that's a, there's a, there might be a fine line with that statement as well. But your thoughts on it? I think the first 24 minutes of this game will decide it. Uh, if similar to Florida State, if UNC can hang around in the first half uh, and not have any blunders at the end of the first half, and if that game is close, I mean, obviously fans and a lot of people don't really expect UNC to give Duke much of an issue. So then that's a confidence booster if it's close going into halftime. And then that first four minutes, right until that first media timeout in the second half, UNC needs to come out, be assertive. Um, and this the thing with this Duke team, it really isn't like this that Florida State team at all. Uh, Florida State plays very good team ball. Duke only Duke has 350 assists on 643 made field goals. Um, so they're not sharing the ball outside of Trey Jones. He's the only one who really shares the ball. Um, and the scary thing about the Duke team, this Duke team is though, is you don't really know who's going to have a big night. Sometimes it's Matthew Hurt. Sometimes it's Joey Baker. Um, sometimes it's Cassius Stanley. Sometimes it's Vernon Carey. Like any one of them can go off. So that's kind of the difficulty on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but if, if UNC is in this game at the, at the under first media timeout, barring any uh, crazy scoring droughts, I think the crowd will be into it. I mean, it is UNC Duke game. Um, so, I mean, I went to my first in-person UNC Duke game last year, and it definitely lived up to the hype, even though um, at some points the Smith Center can be a little quiet. It was rocking that whole time. And I think it, it could, you could say that because this UNC team isn't great, that maybe it's not going to be as loud, but I think it'll be the opposite. I think because UNC really doesn't have anything to lose at all, um, that they that it'll, it'll be rocking the whole time. So that's why I think it'll be really important down the stretch in the second half, get the crowd into it, keep the crowd in it. Um, if Duke hints at a run, UNC has to answer. And I think that's where the toughness and assertiveness comes from um, your role players like Leaky Black, Andrew Playtech, Justin Pierce. Um, so I definitely do think UNC has a shot. Uh, they just not that much room for error. I mean, even like a three-minute field goal drought could decide this game. Um, so that's why you, you don't really know until the tip-off starts Saturday at 6. But it, sh- it should be a fun one regardless. I'm sure the Smith Center will be a, a good atmosphere. I wonder if Carolina can hold up. You mentioned the first 24 minutes. Well, uh, Carolina needs to worry about the last four because they've really struggled closing out ball games or, or keeping up in ball games late. I think we've covered everything, guys. I feel like we've done this podcast at least three or four times already this season, um, talking about the same stuff. But Carolina and Duke, Carolina, what are they? Ten and twelve, and three and eight currently. Is that Just accurate? One tonight, right? Incredible, incredible that they uh, that they are struggling like they are, but not surprising given the amount of energy in injuries and all the other issues. 
I'm going to wrap the show. Greg Barnes, Ross Martin, Gregory Hall, I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Inside Carolina On The Beat podcast. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Tommy. See you, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.